Hi everyone, and welcome to Dare to Care with Michelle. I'm Michelle Wyman, your host and friend on this incredible journey. As a nurse, I've seen firsthand how powerful caring can be, and I believe that we can all dare to care a little more. This isn't just a podcast, it's the beginning of a movement. The Dare to Care movement is all about embracing connection, alignment, rejuvenation, empowerment, and most importantly, having some fun along the way. Each week, we'll chat with inspiring guests, share personal stories, and explore new ways to take great care of ourselves and the people we love. It's about making caring cool and spreading that energy far and wide. So grab a comfy seat and a cup of your favorite tea or a glass of wine or water, whatever it is that you like to drink, and let's get into it. Are you ready to dare to care with me? Let's go. Today, I am excited to welcome an exceptional guest to Dare to Care with Michelle podcast, someone whose credentials and passions are nothing short of awe-inspiring. This is Maggie Ortiz. Maggie is a critical care nurse with 23 years in the field. She embarked on her nursing journey with an associate's degree, which she held for 16 years before leveling up to a master's in nursing leadership. Maggie's extensive experience isn't just confined to one setting. She's worked everywhere from level one hospitals to intimate rural facilities, mastering roles in ICU, ER, PACU, cath lab, and so many other specialized areas. She's even taken her skills on the road, engaging in both local and national travel nursing. But Maggie is more than a nurse. She's an advocate fighting for the monumental changes in the healthcare system. Her activism focuses on critical issues like board oversight, protecting against violence for healthcare workers, and the passage of safe staffing bills, not just in her state, but across the nation. As an educator, Maggie is committed to to equipping nurses with the knowledge that they need to protect their most valuable asset, their license. She offers webinars, mentorship programs, speaking, speaking events, and is even working on a series of ebooks, all designed to help you chart like your career depends on it, because it does. So why does Maggie do all this? It's simple. She's not just called to nursing. She's called to nurses. Spend a few minutes listening to her and you'll quickly realize that her unmatched passion for empowering people. She is, without a doubt, the nurse's advocate. Everyone, welcome my friend, Maggie. Maggie Ortiz, advocate for nurses. Hi, Maggie. How are you? How are you? Oh, I am just so appreciative and so excited to have you here. I have been watching your stuff on Facebook and um, TikTok, I think, right? You're on TikTok. I'm trying yeah. to, I'm not sure Instagram. where I am. 
I'm not sure where you first caught my attention, but you, uh, as a nurse, uh, you have 100% caught my attention and I'm excited to have you here. What brought you into healthcare? Sure. So I uh, grew up in the Midwest. My dad was active duty. And so I was going to join the military. My grandfather was active duty. So kind of a family of Air Force. I was an ROTC in high school. And so I was going to join the Air Force. And then I got pregnant and they were like, so you're going to need to sign right here. And I was like, absolutely not. So <laughs> I started the community college and started there. And then my grandmother got sick. Um, she was at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio one of 18 people ever diagnosed with her disease ended up dying from liver liver failure. And my cousin was an ICU nurse there. And I was like, no, this is what I think I'm going to do. So I changed my path. And then I started with my associate's degree in nursing. And I had that for the first 16 years of my practice. Wow. I like it. I like it. And so kind of guide us through uh, where your, your practice has started, where you started as a nurse and how you got to where you're at. Sure. So I started in the ICU. I did a nursing residency in 2000. So I've been a nurse for 23 years. Nice. So even back then they were still doing residencies and it was done very well. I thought it was very hard. I was learning abstract concepts, having to go to class, having a preceptor and a mentor. And I, I did feel like that I had support from there, I moved to doing um, some emergency room, started doing interventional radiology, started doing cath lab, started moving into some procedural areas. And then I eventually moved on to uh, go to school to get my bachelor's and then my master's. I was just tired of being told no. At the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do leadership and you can be real sure that is the opposite of what I wanted to do. Look at me. I'm just way too animated. I don't fit there. I want real life change for us. And that doesn't fit into the business of healthcare. Um, yeah. And so what kind of led me here is I'd been practicing for about 15 years, crossed over. There was a position at a board of nursing as an investigator. I crossed over to learn how to investigate nurses. I did that for a short period of time and had to go to national training called clear training uh, and uh, stayed again a short period of time and just had concerns about what I felt was like the lack of what I now know to be due process being extended to nurses when they're investigation by a board of nursing, what I believe to be you know, across the nation, I've helped nurses and their legal team. Now on the opposite side, roughly about 400 nurses and some states are better than others, but so I learned um, that whole process of being under investigation. So after I left the board, um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit before a legal nurse consultant actually reached out to me and said, hey, I have an ICU case. Do you want to look at it? And in full transparency, I was like, I've never done it, but sure, I'll, I'll take a look at it. So I kind of crossed over into that. She kind of helped guide me through the process. Then I started doing my own education and understanding of what, what it meant to be an expert, their laws in every state. So started doing my own research and education into that process. Um, and then I left that and then I became an administrative expert. And so that's my passion. That's advocates for nurses. That's helping nurses and their legal team when a nurse is under investigation by their board or a peer review. So any kind of interaction 
with their license, not civil or criminal. Yes, those oftentimes do cross over into administrative law, but again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't practice law. I'm just a nurse. Yeah, I, I wanted to make sure you and I talked about that a little bit, uh, about making sure that people understand you're not a lawyer, you're an advocate for nurses, you are a nurse, but you are not a lawyer. And we don't want anyone to come to you for that type of legal advice, expecting you to be a lawyer, because that's not the direction you go. And actually, your heart is, uh, in my opinion, much bigger, because as a, a nurse, that's all, that's what it's all about. You know, it's just about being there and, and we can we can form such a close um nurses can form such a close connection or we can become the nurse who bullies and and eats their young it's up to us it's up to us and i love that you have uh taken the direction it's funny uh we didn't actually talk about your history as much because I went through the same path. I, I also had my, I started with my associate's degree in nursing. I uh, did all different levels, of different types of nursing as I grew and uh, did interventional radiology as well. So yeah, we, we've, we have definitely followed separate uh, uh, parallel paths. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Um, can you uh, tell me like the three most important things you would wanna tell a new nurse right now? So first and foremost, if you don't have medical malpractice or liability insurance, why, why it's way too affordable. It's a hundred, hundred and five dollars a year. And it's literally, and you don't tell anyone because imagine you're standing in front of a civil or an administrative court and not, we're not talking about criminal. I know that we've seen nurses stand in front of a criminal courts, but that's not the predominant place where we stand. Right. from uh, an administrative lawyer told me a nurse is 98% more likely to stand in front of the board of nursing than any other type of law. So if you have that type of insurance, then that will get you an administrative lawyer. Or if you are being sued civilly, it will get you a civil lawyer. Because imagine that you're terminated from the facility. That lawyer that you thought was representing you at the hospital, and we'll, go, we'll, we'll, we'll swing back to there because we need to talk about conflict of interest. But that you know, attorney that you thought was working for you at the hospital or your organization, where are they at? You're terminated. No. So you need to have your own liability insurance independent of the organization. And you don't tell anyone who needs to know that. Just, do you tell people that you have car insurance and, and house insurance? Stop. No, this culture that we've created and you know about this. We, I don't know why. I don't know why we've created this as RNs. I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, and number two, charting, 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 charting. I, I mean, I cannot tell, you know, stress that enough. We talked about this, uh, you know, a couple of minutes ago. Um, there have been cases that I've looked at before, administratively, civilly, where the mm -hmm. nurses documented. And so, you know what? There was no case. They're literally, the nurses charted. For instance, you know, I was telling, you know, so many of the house supervisors charted in the area that she was at. This patient needed to be moved to a higher level of care. There's a hurricane. Like who would know that? So the house supervisor is prudently trying to get that patient to a higher level of care and cannot. There's a hurricane. Right. And so wow. why is that on the staff? And then come to find out that they didn't have the providers that they were supposed to have on call. Again, what does that have to do with the nursing staff? Nothing. But had 
the house supervisor not repeatedly documented that they were trying to mobilize because this patient did have a bad outcome, but not because of the nursing staff. Unfortunate things happen in our industry. The third leading cause of death in healthcare in, in the world, I mean, is, is in the nation is us. The yes. third leading cause of death. It's crazy. Right? There are 410,000 people who were dire injured from us. 410,000. That's like what one out of nine patients that you touch. I mean, yeah. if you look at that and those all come from the Journal of Patient Safety. It's not just me making that up, right there. Some of those stats are different from the NIH, you know, and then you put COVID into that. We're still a problem and we already know this. So yeah. if you don't think that at one time, possibly across your span of your career, and I hope never that you never involved in anything, I hope that you're not, but you know, what's going to protect you, what you did or did not document, honestly. Yeah, I tell my nurses that all the time, and I also tell them timeliness of documentation. Don't document it at the end of the day. When you sit down at the end of your day to document, but something happened earlier in the day, then that's all time. That's all time stamped, man. That's all time stamped. And if that goes to court that something bad happened to your patient, there's a time stamp on that saying, Michelle documented that at an hour after the patient fell, an hour after the patient uh, left against medical advice or whatever it was. You, you document it as it's happening. What is your third recommendation for our new babies? <clears throat> that if you're in a place that you're not getting supported, that you, the culture is you is toxic. And I'm not the only one who talks about this. Lori Brown, RNJD in her book, leave. Why are you there? You cannot do that because I heard a judge say to a nurse the last time I testified and it was retaliation, but I told her, don't talk about that. We're going to smack them so hard with facts, which we did. And they had to drop all 33 charges against her. Let me say that charges against her. The judge said to the nurse in the breakout room with us, why, why do you think you're here? She looked at me and her lawyer and I shook my head like, go ahead. She said, uh, retaliation. The judge then says to us, I oftentimes see nurses here due to retaliation. So if you don't think that that's going to be you, you're kidding yourself. Don't do it. Get, unfortunately, we work with, you know, majority of women, and I hate to even say that, but we have to stop with this division amongst us. That has to end, right? The, that's affecting the integrity of our profession. And I don't tolerate this. I mean, I support nurses, but not when they behave like that. Some of this questionable stuff, like this, this TikTok ick and slut stuff, stop with this. What are we, what are you doing? Stop it. No, I don't support those kind of things. No, you need to uphold the professional, you know, the professionalism of our industry, right? We want people to treat us that way, then we need to behave that way. So please, yeah. you know, practice with integrity, please. Pretend like you're always being watched. Promise it won't go wrong for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, we had a patient who fell recently. And um, uh, to, just to give you a little history on me, my dad uh, fell recently and broke his hip. My dad's 76 years old. I'm he so walks sorry. five miles a day. He fell and he broke his hip. Uh, and he's in St. Louis and it's cold. And he was walking in his basement. And uh, he, so he, he, but he fell and broke his hip. And then, you know, I told people, I'm like, listen, I take this personally. My dad was just in the hospital, not in the state even, but my dad was just in the hospital. 
I want my dad to be taken care of. So I need to know that these nurses are doing what they need to do and that they're working together. Uh, it's so scary right now, uh, these baby nurses that are coming out of, out of nursing school. And you know, as well as I do, that during COVID, they didn't get to go into the hospital. This is my soapbox. Oh my gosh, this is my, my newest thing. So I just have a nurse that's being peer reviewed in a residency program. I think there's everything wrong with that right there. No nurse in residency program should be peer reviewed, but I don't work at a facility. Who is she going to tell? So yes. And you know, she had very few clinicals. I have a huge concern. And why have these organizations, I just posted something like this on LinkedIn. Why haven't these organizations taken this into consideration? All of us sitting at the bedside, we're talking about it. What yeah. are you guys doing? It's yeah. scary. Yes. Yes. We had one of my nurses recently, and uh, she's one of them that'll, that'll be on another episode on the podcast. But she was she was one of those nurses that went through nursing school during COVID. So, you know, she didn't get to see a patient, didn't get to touch a patient. And then she came here. She had been in the hospital for about six months and she was the senior nurse on the floor and was what? put in charge. Stop it. Oh my gosh. What just happened? Hold on. Did you just say senior? I just want to, hold on. <laughs> Did you say senior nurse in front of six months? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And uh, I, I was just, and she was just totally like oh my god what am I gonna and I said as the house supervisor as her supervisor of the of the whole hospital I said dude you are not the supervisor <laughs> of that unit today you are not I personally will be in charge I personally will will be the charge nurse of the whole hospital and that unit she uh when she left that next morning she never came back to that hospital. Yep. See, there it is. We stop. We got to stop that. She, she I just, think... and I did everything I could. And, but she just said, no, I can't. Um, and she is doing I, home care or something now completely separate yeah. from, you know, acute care, because this isn't the kind of relationship that she wants to have. And I you can't blame her. And that's the other thing that I'm talking about. We can't, me personally, I feel like a nurse should not be in charge unless you have at least five years experience. If you look at any other trade, plumbers, welders, even Benner for magnet says that when do you become an expert? That literature for even us says after five years. So if you've been a nurse for six months and there's a STEMI and I'm coming to you, tell me what guidance you're giving me. Right. I, I mean, I just. A rapid response. If she needed to call a rapid response, when does she, how does she know when to call it? You know, yes. any of that, it's it. And she just, nothing happened on the unit that night, but she said, I don't, this is not what I can, this is not what I want to do. I, this is not the direction I need to go for my own uh, mental, uh, for, you know, my own mental self-care. Uh, she said, I can't, yeah. this is not what I can do. And she, she had to leave. And I, and I, um, and first of all, I'm so proud of her for doing that. I agree. Uh, you know, uh, to say, to be able to stand up and say, I went to school for this. And she, you know, she and I went met for breakfast uh, about a week ago. And she said, you know, my, my family acts like if you're not in acute care, 
because she's got family members who are and who are also nurses. If you're not in acute care, you're not really a nurse. And she said, I feel like I failed. And I said, why would you feel like you failed? You know, you've got you you did you took care of yourself. And I I personally appreciate that in such a way. I'm I'm kind of jealous, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's that's some self-awareness at an early age, you know. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Self-care for nurses is very important. And it is talking about these new grads. It is essential that you learn these tools early on because it will crush you. And if you don't learn how to self-care early on, you're not going to make it very far. You're going to be uh, the, you know, the ones that have PTSD and that are burnt out because you don't know how to set your boundaries and you don't know how to self-care. What we do is very stressful. What we do as nurses, I mean, we're just amazing people. I think we're amazing people. We're unique. I'm very animated and I'm very passionate. And I yell and scream like you hear me on TikTok because you know what? I know who I'm protecting. I know I'm not called to nursing. I'm called to nurses. I know what I'm screaming and yelling for. And that's, you know, my people are amazing. Yeah, I, I, I maybe that's how you got my, my attention or maybe it was your cool glasses. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you just, what you stand for is so much of what I stand for. And I, I, as I told you, I actually did take classes to become a legal nurse consultant. And my first case, as I'm reading through it, I'm going, wow, this nurse really messed up and I want to go and talk to her and I, and I want to spend time with her. I didn't want to have to write a report against her. And it's unfortunate because, you know, that was another, it was a, a case where documentation would have totally saved her, her butt. Uh, she had a patient who uh, had surgery and the doctor wrote an order for a pulse ox check before Dilaudid, which she did not document a pulse ox before giving Dilaudid. And then the next, the very next note was um, code blue called. It was, I gave Dilaudid, I didn't do my vital signs, code blue called. Okay, well, girl, come on. <laughs> well, yeah. so we just talked about this. Yeah. Documentation is very important and even unit specific. So, and especially if there is an order specifically for you to do something prior to administering a medication, not only that, if you're going to give Dilaudid, can, can we please, if you're going to get a narcotic, please follow up with some vital signs. If And, and again, especially what setting you're in, please know your requirements, your policies and procedures. And I talk about this a lot because as an ICU nurse in the ICU at say, let's say Sunnyville, USA, I can draw blood gas. I have my boxes checked off. I've had the education, training and knowledge. I'm going to do agency work and I'm at Cloudyville, USA where they only respiratory therapy does the blood gases. Now, am I trained to do that? But I'm not there. Someone draws it there and they get reported to the board of nursing, but I'm, I know how to do it. The policy says that RT does it there. You violated your, that, that policy, if nothing else, because you're putting them in a bad situation because if something bad happens, they don't have something that protects them because they told you not to do it. They don't have a policy. So what do you do in this based off of? Just you, because it's not under them as the umbrella. So that's why it's so important, you as the nurse, if you're traveling, if you're going to a different unit, if you're going to a different hospital, a freestanding emergency room, a surgery center that you know and you understand what you're allowed to do in those specific uh, facilities or organizations. 
It's so funny that you brought that up because in St. Louis, when I worked in St. Louis, I did do blood gases and I was trained on how to do them. And then I moved to Las Vegas and, you know, we needed blood and, and I'm like, well, I'll just do it through a blood gas. And everybody went, what? Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. Or not. <laughs> right. And then there's a good point as well. Leave your comfort zone. Don't stay in your unit for a million years or do a little bit of agency work. Not one year out again. I'm going to the five year mark. Me personally, why are you traveling under five years? What do you bring to the table? And I'm not bringing uh, being ugly, but you got some learning to do. If you're traveling, that's you're telling me that you know policies, you know procedures, you understand the Nurse Practice Act that you get questions and you cannot say, I'm a traveler. So if you cannot whatever you're doing, if you cannot fall back on, I know the skill, then you shouldn't even be doing it, but you should do local PRN somewhere else. So you could just see a cat skin a different way or someone do something different, just like that. So that it gives you it, it's growth, challenge yourself, help build the integrity within our profession. Yeah. It's so crazy. And integrity is like, and nursing is the number one, most respected, uh, uh, career in America for many, many years. True story. 17, and, I believe. Yeah. And um, integrity is big, but you know, over the last few years with COVID, it's just been, things have changed, you know, uh, and the way that people treat nurses, even during COVID, you know, I, my daughter also works in healthcare and she went to go get gas and in her, in her scrubs. And somebody said, you're part of the problem. Right. And she's just, she's just there getting gas, man. She hadn't even gone to work yet. Yeah. So that's <laughs> scary. We were, someone wrote on the board, I was working in the cath lab to take our, make sure we took our scrubs off because there was someone who was assaulted. Hmm? It's happening. Are you joking? Assaulted? Whoa. No, I, mean, I know. And some of it's just fear of the unknown. I feel like that's gotten better. You know, I was recently asked, like, are, are people on a witch hunt? You know, administrators, the public, I, I just, it all swings back to, you got to protect yourself. Yeah. You have to document. I don't care what the organization is telling you. Don't document that you called Dr. Smith. And you already touched on this. It is illegal not to do that. And the border nursing in every state, and you need to look at your own rules and regulations. The, the medical record is a form of communication between providers. If you don't update it, example, there was a case they weren't giving, it was an inpatient juvenile detention unit. They weren't documenting medications for a month. A month. At the, I look at that response. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. They oh just decided heart. that they weren't going to document any of the medications. And these people were on, we have psychiatric medications, blood pressure. I mean, we have, well, and then you're going to have some of them on, on narcotics even for like yes. uh, ADD and Adderall and yes. stuff like that. So Holy the only crap. reason why I know about this is because it's a legal case. There was an altercation, imagine this, shocker in a juvenile detention center, two men, right, males, one of them becomes unresponsive, shocker, they now go to the hospital, where it doesn't look like they've been given any of their medications that oh, they've been yeah. supposed to be having. So you know what was given on top of what they had already taken? Yes, a whole slew of stuff. The patient ended up coding, having a bad, was already, you know, had already having a bad response, but then had a prolonged, wouldn't. The case, wow. there was litigation came out that the nurses all testified or saying that they were not giving those and they were giving them once a month. 
or document them once a month. I was like, wait, what? Are you joking me right now? Yeah, I can understand wow. you may have paper at an age, a detention center. I understand that, right? Whatever you're using at wherever you're at, don't care. Whatever they're saying you legally have to do. But even on a paper mar, remember, you still have to mark it off. And just yeah. like you talked about t- timely, the only place that I've ever seen like real-time documentation is A, during a code, and then B, like the cath lab where we're doing like real-time. Other than that, you need to make sure that, that what's timely, making sure that you're doing it within a reasonable amount of time. No one's saying that you got to, you know, hurry, go do the care. No, do the care like you're supposed to. Right. And then come back. Yes, you do need to be time efficient. You do need to, you know, be a manager of your time and responsible. I realize all those things for time management. But just like you said, it does. You do have to come back in a reasonable amount of time, document what you did and then create tools. If you're using software like, let's say, Epic, create smart phrases. If you always do X, Y and Z, when you draw a blood gas, create a smart phrase, use your time efficiently. If you're involved in a TE cardio version, use that smart template. It's already there. Jewels, time, who was there. Use what is available to you. Be efficient with your time. But you do need to document as timely as you possibly can. Yeah, for sure. I've I've seen so many nurses, and this is throughout my whole career, but who sit down afterward and document, you know, and I I just, uh, you know, right now our, our med surge nurses are running between five and seven a shift. You know, they have between five and seven patients every shift. I can't imagine no. remembering what the patient in 101's breath sounds that were different than the patient in 102. I I just, that that amazes me. And, and I mean, maybe that's why I went to ICU so quickly, you know, because then I only had to deal with two patients, but my goodness, I can't, uh, that, that thought. And we'll just pivot off of that. Um, and I, again, don't want to be Debbie Downer's care people, but so a nurse chose to do this, not necessarily by choice, but because accepting an unsafe assignment, it was like 40 patients in a long-term care unit Mm -hmm. at the end of the shift was going back to document patient fell, had a bad outcome, did die. The DA and the AG got involved. The AG picked up the case, charged her criminally for falsifying documentation because at the end of her shift, had never been in the building before. Traveler, do you think she remembered everyone's name when she was doing checks? No. So she was going back literally just by memory. They charged her with falsifying documentation when she was just doing the best that she could when she went back to document the end of her shift right? That's not appropriate at all. Should never happen. But a number one should never be accepting an unsafe assignment period. The end, I don't care if you're an LPN, an RN, an NP, whatever setting you're in, because that is literally the definition of medical malpractice. A lawyer I asked at our local nurses association meeting, sir, Hey, I have just a question. So can you, we're talking about staffing, right? Uh, If a nurse knowingly and willingly takes an unsafe assignment, let's say in the ICU, is that the definition of medical malpractice? Yes. Yeah. Can you repeat that again, sir, for the nurses? Because there was gasps. So while why in Texas you have to use safe harbor, that's why you have to refuse an unsafe assignment. You need to know the rules and regulations that dictate your license. For us, 217, 1A, S and T is S them making the assignment, T you accepting the assignment. So you need to know those so that if they're asking those things of you, you can start with, are you asking me, just like you said, 
as you need to make sure you're working with your leadership to say, hey, are you asking me to violate this, you know, this, you know, code? And let me tell you why I can't take four patients in the ICU. I can't do it. So are you asking me to violate that? So can we get someone else? Can we call the house supervisor? And then if you can't get those things resolved, then that's when you're enacting things like safe harbor. But you do need to use your leadership. You do need to use your chain of command. You do need to, to, re- to try to resolve those, you know, within your unit before you ever start slinging around safe harbor. Stop, calm down. Hey, let's go to the charge nurse. Let's reevaluate the assignment. Maybe Sally only has two patients and no one knew about that. No big deal. So she absorbs those patients done. Then you didn't have to go all the way to safe harbor. Maybe you have to. And then it goes to the manager and the director. The house supervisor gets involved. The house soup says, hey, we have a float nurse downstairs who's doing nothing. You know what? We're going to mobilize her here. We have extra tech. I know there's an extra tech coming at 11, but use the resources available to you. If that doesn't happen, then yes. You do have to use tools like ADO or Safe Harbor, what is ever applicable in your state. Yeah. So ADO is um, our friend, my friend Maggie is throwing around letters that people don't know. Uh, ADO is an assignment despite objection. Uh, Safe Harbor, I don't know much about because we don't have that in Las Vegas or in Nevada. So you sure. may have to explain that a little bit to us. So an ADO is a form that a nursing staff will fill out and say, I think that this assignment is unsafe, but I'm going to take it anyway. Now, let's go back to what Maggie just told me. If you accepted it, despite the fact that you know it's unsafe, that's malpractice. Correct? Yes. And I don't know. I mean, we talked about this before. I don't. So ADO is tied to unionization of a hospital. I've never seen these forms. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's something new. It wasn't that my, uh, uh, the house now, the hospital I work at now was union at one time. Uh, the hospital I worked at before was never union, but they had these forms. And literally, the um, one of the ER charge nurses would hand them out at the end of the shift and say, here, fill these out. You know, our, our assignments, we weren't safe today. Fill these out here. Just fill these out. What are you doing? She doesn't understand what she's doing to her nurses because literally she's saying to them, what we did today wasn't safe, so fill out this paperwork. But when you when you're filling out that paperwork, you're saying, I know that my assignment wasn't safe, but I took it anyway. I would be if I was in that state and there and my leaders were saying this is a tool that I could use, not during my shift. You can be real for sure. I would spend sending that over to the board of nursing saying, my leadership, not in you're just sending it over to the webmaster. I'm asking a question. My leadership is saying that this ADO form is something that I need to fill out. If I'm accepting a safe, a unsafe assignment, does this protect me like safe harbor in Texas or in New Mexico? Will this protect me from any kind of investigation by the board of nursing and see what the board of nursing says? Because I don't know anything about ADO forms, but that yeah, doesn't sound and, right to me. And you know, the thing was that this, this particular charge nurse was trying to stand against administration. So she was trying to say, here, we're going to turn all these in and administration is going to have to deal with it. Instead of saying to administration, hey, we're we're not safe down here tonight. You know, the ER is not safe. We need more help. Instead of doing that, which is what she could have done. And she went a different direction and just saying, Ha ha, I, I just stuck it to an admin, but you really didn't. You just stuck it to your nurses. So yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I I I agree. And explain to me more about what uh, safe harbor is. 
Sure. So safe harbor is something that is dictated by the Texas Board of Nursing. If you have more than eight employees, you have to have a way to peer review a nurse in your organization. Even if you even hire out, say you hire out, like I know Texas, I think A&M has, they'll offer a peer review process. Say you're at a very small organization and you don't have enough nurses to pull together to peer review another nurse. So then you can utilize that process. So it should be someone with your same discipline who's looking at your conduct, looking at system errors, looking at systems that are in place, mitigating circumstances and kind of figure out what is happening and come up with some things that some action items that can um, be put into place. So, and that can be sent to the board of nursing. So if you have had, let's say three or so minor instances, your organization may choose to peer review you prior to getting to five at five instances that you're supposed to be reported to the board of nursing in Texas, minor instances. So say just like at three to four, your organization decides that we're going to peer review this nurse. We got to see what's happening on he or she has had some instances. We're going to pull together people not in your leadership. Right. Other... Maggie, what kind of, what kind of uh, events are you talking about? Are you talking about like medication errors, falls? Anything. Like, okay. So it would be Anything. that type of, that it would, those, those would be some of them high up on the list, I assume would be medication errors and or falls. Is there... Is yeah, failure to respond. Of... That's actually a great question because I do get asked this a lot. Um, repeated medication errors, failure to recognize, failure to like call the rapid. That's a big, huge one. Oftentimes, especially when it's repeated, we have to leave our egos at the doors and we have to stop shaming other nurses if they call rapids. Right. So those are reasons why you don't recognize cardio, you know, shock. You know, right. failure to escalate, monitor. These are big reasons that. Okay, you know, cool. I, Thank you for I, that information. Yeah, I I often um, see. Yeah, I I'll have you know, and and when I'm making my rounds and and visiting the units, I'll have a a nurse who will say, "My patient doesn't look too good. Could you come and look at them?" And I do. I my response is always the same. Of course, I'll come look at them. I am an ICU critically trained nurse, uh, critical, critical care trained nurse. Uh, but if you don't think your patient looks good, call a rapid response. Thank you so much. It's, you know, we need that actual documentation. We need the rapid response documentation so that we can do the things that we need to do. I can't draw the blood I need to draw without getting a hold of a doctor or calling a rapid response. I can't do and the that's things a good that thing I need to, to do. To to point out, I don't think uh, enough uh, of the newer nurses or the maybe the nurses on med surge understand. So repeat that again, because they don't understand that calling a rapid allows people, because I've been on a rapid and I've been on a code, that allows me as a responder to do what? Please to do the things that. that we need, to do the things that we need to do. Do we need to draw blood? Do we need to get an x-ray? Do, you know, what are, what are the things that we need to do? Do we need a blood gas? You know, those, those things. Maybe it's chest pain. I can't just walk into a room and give nitro, but yes. you call a rapid response for chest pain. I can, I can turn around and say, okay, let's now you have a responsibility to now you have a duty to as a rapid responder. Yes. Right. And, and the nurses, they, they're like afraid to call a rapid response. And I don't, I call, call 10 a day. I don't care. Yes. If you're uncomfortable with the way your patient looks, with the way your patient's behaving, with the way your patient's responding, call me, let me come in. But 
you don't just say, hey, Michelle, come and look at my patient. Because when I come and look at that patient, now you've documented how supervisor aware. Yes, yes. That's what they do to me. They'll say, how supervisor aware. But it wasn't a rapid response, so I couldn't do anything. Right. But it still doesn't absolve that primary nurse of their duty to the patient. And let me say that word again. And if you don't understand what duty is, you should really look that up because that is the duty that you have to the patient when you accept. And it doesn't somehow fall onto you because right. you are the house supervisor. That's not how it works. That doesn't absolve the primary nurse of their responsibility to manage that patient because you will be asked to put up your right hand and to answer why you didn't call a rapid because right. the policy is going to be up on the big screen and yeah. you're going to ask. It's in your employee file that you reviewed that. So I don't care what Michelle did or did not do. You're sitting here. Who, why, why didn't you call rapid? Tell me, don't say that the nurses shame you. And I'm sorry that that's happening. And any nurses are shaming, any critical care nurse are shaming nurses, newer nurses for calling rapid. Stop it. You right. know what? Take some time. If they, afterwards, if you think it's ridiculous, don't high roll. Take some time afterwards and say, hey, away from the patient, away from their peers. And just say, hey, I kind of, I understand. T- tell me what's happening and let's walk through this. But don't shame them. That's, that's something we don't need to be doing. Absolutely. 100%. You know, something you just said kind of uh, is, is something else I've, I've uh, focused my nurses on. And that is when you, when you make your documentation, you should write your honor at the end, because you're, you're telling this to the lawyer. So you say uh, patient, uh, patient was a real jerk to me and he called me bad names and it hurt my feelings, your honor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's why I tell nurses, and then we talked about this earlier, and I was teaching in, you know, my one of my webinars is that you have to write a soapy note. So part of your subjective is writing what the patient was saying. Right. If they were cussing, whatever it is, use yeah. quotation marks. I love that. That paints a picture. I stress that a lot. The yeah. objective is, you know, you talked about chest pain, patients sweaty, diaphoretic you know, uh, standing up, pacing, holding their chest, paint the picture of what's happening. So let's, let's talk about a soap note. So explain to them what that everyone, what that is. Sure. So it's a form of typing up a nursing note. You're starting with S. I just assume that I guess most of us learn about this. So S is subjective. So what is the patient client saying? Um, you know, abdominal pain, 10 out of 10, whatever it is they're telling you that that oftentimes that mirrors their chief complaint. So you'll see the physician, right? That's normally their chief complaint. Objective, what are you witnessing? What do you see? What what is, you know, they're holding their chest, they're sweaty. That's your, you know, and then Mm -hmm. assessment, that bleeds into your assessment. They're rating their pain on a scale, nine out of 10. Their blood pressure is 300 over whatever they're in a sinus tack so there's you know there's your assessment of what's you know happening and again i'm just trying to think out loud so we got subjective help guide me through so we got subjective objective assessment and plan plan so uh, thank you ma'am so then you know what is the plan thank you (laughs) so chest painter you already know oftentimes medicine is cookbook you already know what you're doing mona stop it you've learned this you're going to do that. That is your plan. And then I do IE, your interventions, your evaluations, and your reassessments. So start with what you did. And that is the Mona as well. You put on some oxygen, you gave nitro, 
you gave another nitro five minutes later, you gave another nitro minute, five minutes later. And with that nitro, you're doing what? Blood pressures, because we know that that can drop your pressure. And that would be an indication not to possibly give a next dose. I have had to hold nitro because it dipped their pressure so low because they were already compromised that I could not give another dose. And so I went and told the provider and then, so our plan changed, right? And then I went back to my assessment, my vital signs, right? And then I readjusted my evaluation, my reassessment, my interventions for the patient. I hung uh, a 250 bolus because the patient's pressure was what, 250? I reported to the physician. I did another EKG, all right there in your notes that you did. That's a soapy note. And that needs to be done with any events. If the patient codes, the patient falls, you have to pick up the phone to call the doctor. It doesn't have to be that lengthy, right? You're right. just writing a brief little note and then you should be using SBAR situation, yeah. background assessment and recommendation. And that's how you're communicating with the provider. So those are two gold nuggets right there that we are providing you with that every new nurse should be using. I love it. I love it. And they, I just am so sad at, that these nurses, these new nurses, they, they just, they didn't learn this stuff and they didn't, they, they don't understand the importance of what they do. Well, uh, just think about you and I, we were actually writing in a medical record. We actually saw <laughs> paper charts. I mean, I, yeah. I've you know, been in the 23 years and I remember, you know, literally we had paper charts. I mean, we were doing 24 hour 12 hour mm -hmm. chart checks. Do you remember we did this 24 hour chart checks? We're talking yes. about nurses who have never done paper documentation. They've only done computerized documentation. They're so far removed. They have, just like you said, these, te these templates, they have, you know, they're just charting by exception. And I'm like, stop, right. write a note. So uh, do you remember, and this was, uh, I think before COVID, um, UHS got, um, uh, they got compromised. UHS health system all over the country went, all the computers went down. And all of a sudden, these nurses, it, it may or may not have been during COVID, but all of a sudden, these nurses would never like, what are we going to do? Exactly. And they had to paper chart and they're like, oh my God. And the doctors, I mean, it's not just the nurses, it's the doctors too. You know, the doctors who all of a sudden have to do everything on paper, they, everybody was just so lost. And it's amazing because we have to be able to keep control of that too. And that's another thing that the baby nurses or the young nurses need to know is what happens if the computers go down? How do we document? You know, where do I put my vital signs? Where do I put my notes? It's just all that stuff. Oh my goodness, Maggie, we could go on for hours. No kidding. <laughs> well, and then I just want to pause here for one second as well, because you talked about like, you know, orders and stuff. That's the other one. My other big thing is that stop taking verbal orders. Stop doing that. Don't. Is there a code happening? Why are you doing that? That's when miscommunication happens. Oh, oh that's great, doctor. When you put that order in, I'll get right on that. Right. No, I'll wait. They have handheld phones. They have devices that we don't have that are HIPAA protected. No, don't yeah. be texting stuff on your phone. I don't care what application you think that you're using unless your policy at your facility says that you're allowed to use your phone and it is HIPAA protected. Don't be texting stuff. The doctors have tablets. They have access that they, are, you know, they're consented to. You do not 
Right. Let them put their own orders in. Yeah. And you, so here's a couple of the, the little snippets just to show you that I do watch you. Um, getting yeah. at work on your phone. That's stealing time as well. Is that, I, and I don't know, maybe that's just me. I'm like, okay, A, unless you're on your lunch break and they clock you down there. And again, it depends on how ugly they want to be to you. Is that not stealing time? If you're on TikTok and you're not on your break, now all these other violations, I'm like, stop it. Get off of your phone. What is happening? Yeah. And then also that they can just, they can see what you're doing. They have yes. the, you're signing a thing saying you have the right to do that. Uh, oh, there was another one that went through my head. We, you talked about LPNs recently. Yes. That's, um, that's and, another big one. Yeah. And, and we've been, especially practice. as the, um, because we've had so many nurses who have resigned and now we're using, utilizing some LPNs in the acute care setting and knowing, you know, it, one one uh, hospital that I, I've talked to, one of my friends said that her she's got like nine beds in her unit total. And so they want to put an LPN and RN there. And I said, okay, as an RN, you understand you're taking 10 patients. There it is. They're like, well, no, the LPN's taking. No, you're not. And I just read this. And if you're in, in depending on your state, I literally just read this again. I hate to be swinging back to my webinar, but I was just doing this before. I literally read what it says for an RN versus an LPN. An LPN has to be supervised. Now, if your state board of nursing says different, let me know. Texas is very specific. They have a beautiful PDF that I pull up right for the nurses to see that they created. And an LPN does have to be supervised in the state of Texas. I can tell you, I taught LPNs for just a short period of time and they don't have the same scope of, scope of practice so yes you are you are overseeing that lpn yeah they uh their um their leadership was saying well all that all you have to do is if they get an admission you have to do the admission and if they have to give um iv meds you have to give that otherwise the lpn is, is independent i said no no, they're not. You have to have somebody who's w willing and able to do this. You know, so I've, yeah, like I said, this is a good friend of mine in another hospital, but I was like, oh, goodness. I'm it's hearing this from nurses across the nation. Obviously, you follow me on TikTok. Got lots, lots of followers. I'm being asked this question across the nation. If they can triage, if they can be in critical care settings, your scope of practice as an LPN does not allow you, my understanding, your education does not allow any nurse in any state who holds an LPN license to do an initial assessment. Right. What is triage? A complex initial assessment. Right. So what are you not doing? That. And only that in an emergency room setting, they're in the emergency room. The epitome of that patient is not stable. So, you know, as an LPN, you're not taking care of the unstable patient. You could be a tasker. But you're right. not a primary care provider. And when I moved to San Antonio, I was brand new doing agency work. And this is well before I was ever at the Board of Nursing, but I knew my scope of practice. Taking agency, I was doing agency, took my two patients. They said, Oh, you're assigned to this LPN. I said, No, I'm not. Not only am I a local agency, but I don't even know what an LPN does. And no disrespect, it doesn't an ICU, but no. And I refused. They couldn't say no. I said, No. 
So absolutely not. LPNs, you need to be really careful what they're pushing you to do, what you're saying, asking you to do. You need to say, my scope of practice does not allow me to do that. And then there is no questions. And if you have any concerns, reach out to the Board of Nursing. They're there to help guide you. Right, right, exactly. Don't wait exactly. till you're defending your license. Right, the one percenters, the ones that reach out to me. I'm. Tr we're trying to give you some gold nuggets here. Do not wait until you're like, well, my job. Well, they didn't tell me my, my job description. The board of nursing doesn't care what any of those say. And now a, a bad outcome happened to those patients. Do you think civil or criminally that that's right. going to defend you? No. You know, and then swinging back, I apologize to peer uh, to to safe harbor. So in the state of Texas, all that does is create that peer review process. It can be sent to the board of nursing. Some places choose to not to do that. Oftentimes they do choose to do that. It's regulated in the state of Texas only. It is verbal. You can call it verbally. There was a nurse that was scrubbed in, I believe is what changed that in the OR. She could not file safe harbor because it is paperwork that you're supposed to fill out. Could not fill out that paperwork. So in the state of Texas, you can call it verbally. By the end of your shift, you have to make sure that that paperwork is filled out. There's a policy at every facility. You need to make sure that you know what the policy says and that there's links to that paperwork that you print out, that you fill out. And then it does, you know, you already know this, probably the house supervisor gets involved, the CNO gets involved, but you, that's, you have to do. You cannot stand in front of any of these courts of law and say, I didn't fill this out, even though it was a tool provided to me in the state of Texas. Right, right. How are you, at, if you didn't fill this out and you knew that there was a situation, how can you ask the Board of Nursing not to look at your conduct? I don't know. Yep, I, I, I'm 100%. Uh, Maggie, tell us about your webinar. Sure. So it's to teach nurses how to protect their license through charting. So I don't know if you uh, hooked up with like the RNA gay ladies. So I'm doing one uh, for them. It's on their website. And then working on um, just another one that's on my, will be on my website, um, along with, you know, just a couple uh, ebooks as well. One of them is, you know, I'm going to help I'm a nurse being deposed. Oftentimes nurses do not understand what it means. So it's just really short um, what your rights are, things just to know from, you know, how to dress, what your rights are, reviewing the record. The legal team is not your friend. Um, then some charting tips, how to protect your license, and then some short little PDFs or some basics about protecting your license. And then if you're under investigation. I love it. I love it. Thank you. And um, how do people find you? So all my handles are the same. Advocates for nurses. I don't get crazy. I'm on every platform, Instagram. If you, you know, my link tree is advocates for nurses. I have some of the podcasts. I'll upload this one, you know, once I get it um how you can reach out to me my ebook waitlist i do have those over the editors hopefully that will be coming out shortly i am getting married in like 14 days so goodness congratulations thank you thank you so if i don't respond to you it's just because you know i'm on a beach in you know another country so <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it that's so exciting congratulations we thank appreciate you. you so much and i love all uh, um i mean i just I think that you're another one of those that I'm going to have to have on over and over again. We're just going to have to find new things to talk about all the time. Um, and I, and I'm a hundred percent sure that we can find lots of things to talk about. So I'm super excited to have this relationship. I'm, I'm very happy to have you here. So thank you so much. Um, I hope that you have fun. I did. 
I did. Thank you, sister. And I appreciate everything that you do. Mad respect. Yeah. You spent a lot of time in this profession as well. And I love and adore my people and mad respect. Thank you to every nurse. I'm here. If you need anything, you can text me. You can email me. I do consultations. Even if you just have a question, nurses reach out to me all the time. We can book, you know, time to, you know, to chat. So you're not alone. That's the biggest thing is that these nurses, all the nurses, new or old, need to realize that yes. you're not alone. There's, there are people, we are here, we're here. You don't have to look hard, we're here. Uh, I liked him, I liked him, my podcast and, and my uh, show with a, a couple of questions. Uh, so the first one is, what does the word dare mean to you? Dare, that means to do something I'm not supposed to do. Uh -oh. um, <laughs> dare means that I'm, I'm going to do something that I may not necessarily do. Normally, gotcha. Yeah. And what, well, how about the word care? care yeah um t t was it tell me again what what, was the, the question what, again? what does the word care mean to you care means uh i immediately go to nursing yeah i immediately go to, i just feel like we are some of the most caring loving people on the planet honestly i feel that what we do is just amazing for other people, especially once you get developed in your profession and you're comfortable, how you relax around patients and your interaction just changes. So if you are a new nurse, just, just give it a, a minute, honestly. I love it. And so if I put dare and care together for, for you, you're kind of saying, even if you're uncomfortable, care for people and take care of people and do, do the best that you can anyway. Absolutely. You're awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget everyone that caring is cool. That's a wrap for this episode of Dare to Care with Michelle. Thank you for joining me on this exploration of connection, alignment, rejuvenation, and empowerment. I hope you've found inspiration to live a healthy and vibrant life. If you're eager to take your journey further, please consider joining Patty Bain and me at the Dare to Care Retreat. Immerse yourself in wellness, affirmations, and self-care. Visit Dare to Care Retreat to learn more. Remember, taking care of yourself is more than a goal. It's a healthy, beautiful way of living. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, share with a friend, and leave a review. Now it's your turn. Show someone you care today. And until next time, stay strong, love yourself unconditionally, and dare to care. I'm Michelle Wyman, your host, a nurse who believes in the power of healthy living, reminding you that caring is cool. <laughs>